If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4. We've been talking about the kingdom of God and kingdom ministry and effective kingdom ministry. And we've been talking about the fact that we're all called to be ministers. And that's something that has to settle in our heart because traditionally the church has said it's only the leaders who minister and everyone else just watches. But that's not God's plan. And so we have to change that thinking. And then we have to equip all of us for the work of the ministry. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, uh, the preparation or preface to kingdom ministry, which was Jesus' life. And we were started reading in Matthew chapter 4 uh, from verse 1 to 10. I don't want to actually do that. I just want to review quickly. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what I said a couple weeks ago. And then what I was going to say last week is gone. Uh, we're not going to do that either. Uh, I just got too much other stuff. But as we were looking at Matthew 4, we were talking about the test of the temptations that Jesus faced as a preface. They're a, something to teach us what the hard attitude we need to have as we're involved in kingdom ministry, which applies to every one of us. And the first one was a test of self-dependence. We talked about a couple weeks ago, we need relationship with God. We live by hearing God's voice. We don't know enough to do kingdom ministry on our own. That was never God's intent. He never intended us to learn enough that we could do it without him. And then the second test I didn't talk about, but I will very briefly, is a test of self-initiation. In Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7, if you read it later, Devil tempts Jesus and says, throw yourself off the, uh, the pinnacle of the temple because the word says that God will protect you. And uh, so self-initiation basically is the concept that I decide what needs to be done and God follows me. Instead of me following him, instead of me being led by the spirit, he follows me. And... Uh, most of us have been taught something of that, but with different words. Step out in faith. You do it. The third test was one of self-serving. Uh, Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Again, uh, the devil says to Jesus, here's the end result you being ruler over all the world, serve me, bow down to me, and I'll make that happen. And so basically it was a shortcut. You can have the end result without going through the cross if the result was the focus. And Jesus' response was that we don't tempt God, we serve him. It's his purposes but it's also his way. Bottom line is self-serving is that I don't trust God. I trust myself more than God. And if I'm focused on the results, 
then the means to the end doesn't matter. So, of course, if there's a shortcut, I'll take it. God's not just focused on the results. He can cause the results. He's focused on our obedience more than the results. But when we can focus on the results, we figure, okay, whatever it takes to get there. It's been uh, evident in much of the church in the last 30 years with a focus on church growth rather than kingdom advancement. How do we grow our church as opposed to how do we advance the kingdom? And so we use worldly methods in order to increase our uh, share of the pie rather than advance the kingdom. Let me say this. We're not after church growth. It's not our focus. Uh, That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to see the kingdom advance. And so we're equipping the saints. So the bottom line is, we come down to what is kingdom ministry? We're talking about effective kingdom ministry. All that was prefaced. What is kingdom ministry? That's why I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 After these temptations, verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. If you hadn't realized, this was flickering is why we shut that off, this TV. And so uh, we're going to have something up there a little bit later. You're going to have to squint to see it if you're too far away. Next week, you'll want to sit in the front just in case that happens again. I heard someone say that uh, at the Christian Life and Witness class, they said, uh, we have business class seats in the front, and you can upgrade. Mark 3, verse 14 and 15 is already up there, and I'm the the slow one. Says, and then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Matthew 10 7. I have to look this way. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Sorry, I messed you up. I said five. It was actually 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The word that he was confirming was the gospel of the kingdom. We often use that, preachers use that, that God's going to confirm the word that we preach, but it was actually the gospel. Go preach the gospel, and that's what they preached, and there was a confirmation. I think sometimes we've uh, disconnected the supernatural from the gospel. I'll get to that later. And one more. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, 
of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the, for the Greek. What is kingdom ministry? First and foremost, kingdom ministry is the gospel of Jesus. Our number one responsibility and the number one aspect of kingdom ministry is the gospel of Jesus, often called the gospel of the kingdom. There's some good things. There's some other good things. Social justice is good. Helping hurting people is good. Protecting the vulnerable is good. But they're not as important as the gospel. The gospel has eternal consequences. It's the power of God to salvation. You can help someone who's hurting, and that has a temporal consequence, and that's a good thing. But the gospel has eternal consequences. The gospel changes someone's destiny, both temporal and eternal. And that's why we need a renewed conviction of the importance of the gospel. Social justice without the gospel is just making people's trip to hell a little bit easier. The problem is the devil hates the gospel because he knows it's the power of God for salvation. And he's constantly trying to distort or distract us from the true gospel. Let us get on to something else. Ah, we've heard that. Give me something more exciting. Give me something that I can see the the results quicker. I decided uh, one of the reasons I think I didn't preach last week is that I was focused on some of the false gospels I felt during the week, God said that that's not the focus. We don't want to focus on false gospels. We want to focus on what is the gospel. I had a friend who was the manager of a bank years ago, and he told me that uh, in training bank tellers to identify counterfeit money or to recognize counterfeit money, they spend weeks, actually two weeks, whole weeks, and they never give them any counterfeit money. All they do is handle real money. And then they slip in something that's counterfeit. And they're so used to handling what is real that when the counterfeit comes in, they might not know why it's counterfeit, but they know it is. Either the feel or something off. Many of them could not articulate why they thought that might be counterfeit. But they were so focused on the real. So I want to talk about what is the gospel. I think the devil's ploy has been to distort or dilute the gospel, to get us on something else, distract us to something else, and to actually miss out what is the gospel. Gospel starts very simply, God is loving, and he made us for a loving and blessed relationship with himself. God is loving. 
there's something of that dream of a loving, blessed relationship with God that resides in all of us. We might not articulate it, but there's something in people. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about eternity is in our heart. There's something of eternity. There's something of something better. There's something of an image of life that is blessed and full. Let me say this, as I shared uh, in January about the holiness of God, we need to get our image of God correct. God's not angry at people. God's not vengeful. He's loving. The problem is that we're separated from God who made us and loves us because of our sin. John 1.29 says, next day John saw Jesus coming and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. This is often attributed to, to, uh, to the devil. It says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Give me 14. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will be like God. Genesis 3. From verse 1 to 6. We see the, the story of Adam and Eve sinning. God had told them they could eat of all the trees uh, in the garden, but not one. Uh, and then the devil, the serpent comes and uh, says something different. And basically she recognizes what God had said. Verse four, and then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He just totally contradicted what God said. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant in the eyes, and the desirous to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Knowing what God had said, she decided, no, I like the idea that I can be God. I can do it myself. I can choose for myself. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that means? Exactly what it says. All have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, For the result or wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The result of sin is death. One more, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities or your sin have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not see or hear. What happens is that our sin separates us from God. Plain and simple. You can't blame someone else. But let me put it this way. Sin is rebellion against God. The root 
is an unwillingness to recognize that he's God. Rebellion leads to selfishness. If I don't recognize he is God, then I'm God. And if I'm God, everything else revolves around me. Self-centeredness and then selfishness produces many fruit. Martin, if you'll give me the... Dale put this into a tree. That the root is rebellion. The trunk is selfishness. And the fruit is all kinds of things. It's greed and stealing and lying and immorality and abuse. Everything that is the fruit of selfishness. Problem is, we often focus on the fruit and ignore the trunk and the root. I got caught lying. Oh, I'm sorry, I lied. I repent of lying. I pulled the fruit off the tree. What happens? It just produces fruit in some other area because the root is still there. The trunk is still selfish. Too often our repentance is about fruit and not the root. See, religion tries to remove the fruit. Religion says you can change your life by dealing with the externals. If you just had more discipline, if you just recognized this fruit, we can deal with that. But what the Bible says is that that fruit is the result of the trunk, which is selfish, which is a result of the root, which is rebellion against God. We've set ourselves up as God. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law just points out the fruit to us. It was never designed to justify us. It was actually pointing out, hey, look at all these things you do. You disobey what God says. Look at what you're doing. They're an indication to you that you're actually selfish. They were never designed. The law was never designed to make us right. It was just designed to make us aware that at, in the, at the root, we're in rebellion against God. The lie of the devil in our culture is that at the root, people are basically good. And we buy into that. And we think that the fruit that is manifest in their life is a result of the circumstances around them. And if we could change the circumstances, we would change the fruit. And the reality is that you can pull all the fruit off the tree, but if you don't change the root, the fruit's going to grow back. 
How many people, the beginning of a new year, New Year's resolutions, I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm going to do this. Every good intent almost never happens. Why? Because you're just trying to pull the fruit off the tree. And the, the fruit comes back. So what is the gospel? Is this. Repentance is turning from rebellion to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. The rulership of God. That's why it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Kingdom means the realm over which someone rules. It's turning from my rebellion and turning to Jesus as Lord. It's not just removing the fruit. Like I said, you can remove the fruit. You can say, I'm sorry I lied, or I'm sorry that I've been involved in pornography. But if that's a fruit of selfishness, it will come back, or it will just manifest itself some other way. The uh, term uh, Lord occurs 270 times in the New Testament. The term Savior, 26 times. They appear together 19 times. And every time they appear together, it's Lord and Savior. It's never Savior and Lord. Why? Because submitting to his Lordship is our salvation. That's turning from rebellion to him. That's what repentance is all about. It's not just saying, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I did something that someone else didn't like. So the wonderful thing is that Jesus comes, and by his death, he removes the corruption of sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sin. He took it upon himself. He didn't just appease God's anger because God's anger wasn't the problem. The problem was sin makes a separation. God couldn't just wave his hand and say, sin's okay. These are not the droids you're looking for. The sin isn't real. No, sin makes a separation because God is holy. I'm getting excited here. So he not only removes the corruption of sin, and, but he also removes the consequence of sin, which is separation from God. Jesus, by his death, removes the corruption of sin. He bore our sin and removes the consequences of sin. The wages of sin, or the consequences of sin is death. But only we can repent of our rebellion. We have another tree. Huh? You don't have a second tree. Uh-oh. Okay. Second tree looks like this. The root is relationship with God, not rebellion. That's been restored. The trunk is hearing God's voice both his word and his spirit. If you're not sure about that, come to Activate today. The fruit 
then of hearing God's voice is the gospel. It's supernatural manifestations. It's love. It's peace. It's self-control. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. All that comes from being connected with God. We don't have to try and make it happen. It's a byproduct of hearing his voice, which is what happens when we have a relationship with him, which is what the whole gospel is about, being restored to relationship. You can illustrate this in a lot of different ways. For most of my life, I've illustrated it like this. Pretend this is God. You've got a good imagination. It doesn't look like God. It looks like my hand. But you can see why I use that. Pretend this is God and pretend this is you. You don't look like my hand either. But the Bible says we're made in the image of God. And we're made to have relationship. To fit together. Doesn't mean we're God's. Just made that God made us to have relationship. You only have one relationship with God. That's where he's God and you're not. You recognize he's not following us. We're following him. But as we've just seen, something's come between that. It's called sin, rebellion. Sin makes a separation between us and God. And the result of sin is that separation from God is death. Yet the Bible says that Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God so we could be restored to relationship. He didn't die for us so that you could go to heaven someday. That's a byproduct. He died so your sin could be removed so that you can be restored to relationship with God today. Not someday, sometime. So rather than rebellion, we have relationship. Rather than selfishness, we have hearing his voice, walking in relationship both his word and spirit. Rather than the fruit of selfishness, we have the fruit of the spirit, which is what kingdom ministry is about. What does this mean for us today? I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come back here and just hang on for a moment. I realize that we come from many different backgrounds. You come from different churches, different backgrounds. And I'm not sure if you've ever been given the opportunity to repent of rebellion and surrender to Jesus so you can be restored to God. I'm going to give you that opportunity in a few minutes. But for those of us who have been, the process of being conformed to his image, or what the Bible calls sanctification, is a process. Even though we've been set free from selfishness, we still live in a world of selfishness. And sometimes it creeps back in. I didn't sleep much last night. I've had a little bit of a problem with my back. The wind started blowing. That wasn't the problem at all. I could blame it on that. Bottom line is that before I went to bed, I knew what I was going to be preaching. I said, God, show me my heart. Have I allowed selfishness to creep back in? That was a mistake. 
oblivion is bliss. God began to show me, you would think that that wouldn't keep me awake. The problem was I was stupid enough to start arguing with God. <laughs> I didn't realize I was arguing with God. I was just justifying myself. I'm not selfish. Everyone else is insensitive. <laughs> I realized that selfishness can creep back in. And when it does, we're in danger of diluting or distorting the gospel as we try and justify ourselves. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. We read Mark 16. And it says, preach the gospel. And they did. And God confirmed the word, the gospel, with signs following. I believe that he wants to do that this morning. So, Lord, we just ask you that you would confirm your gospel with signs and wonders. We don't know what that looks like. I know that for some people, it's just you speaking to them. It's bringing revelation. For some people, it's showing that you're real. For some people, it's simply breaking through our defenses as you speak to us. But only you can do that. We're going to sing a song, Old One, I Surrender All. I love the song because it's the epitome of repentance. I surrender to Jesus. This is a song that was done at Billy Graham Crusades for 70 years. I don't know if he knew it, intended it, but it's the epitome of I'm no longer going to be God in my own life, but I surrender to you. I'm going to ask you to do that. If you've never done that, if you've never actually repented of rebellion against God. I'm going to invite you to come to the front as we sing this. And just acknowledge. Jesus says this, those who acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So I'm going to give you an invitation this morning. But for all of us, if the Holy Spirit's showing you as he did me, where selfishness has crept back in. Let's just turn. He's equipping us for kingdom ministry. And in the midst of this, we're praying, Holy Spirit, give us a renewed conviction of the importance of the gospel. It's so easy to get focused on other things. So we're going to sing this and then see what the Holy Spirit does.